Well, I will say that when you're covering such a subject as discipleship and with the very directions you can go, that this was somewhat still a challenge because many of the verses on discipleship are basically from the Gospels. The word disciples used in the book of Acts, but after the book of Acts, you don't actually find the word disciple used any longer. We all know what a disciple is, so I don't think it was necessary to be called disciples from that point on as the letters were being written. And remember, many of the letters that are written coincide with the book of Acts. So they kind of just meet together there in the book of Acts as you see the church at Ephesus and where they're called disciples in different uh, places throughout the book of Acts. It is referencing the churches that are beginning as Paul goes forth. But as you do a search of the word disciple, you find yourself, and you may have already heard this one, you, all, you immediately do, do not have a lot in the approach of the letters that are written by the Apostle Paul as to what is said and what is expected disciples. Yet, I'm going to use a lot of that for us this morning as we look at this idea of the cost. I am going, as we saw from our reading, I'm going to use things that are found uh, in the Gospels, obviously, from what Jesus said. But from that, I want to go forward as to what is entailed on our part, what might be our cost to be a disciple. Now, we already looked at Romans 12, and for that study, we immediately saw that right from the beginning, we are living sacrifices. So, I guess, in, at least in that matter, to be a disciple of Christ, you give yourself fully over to Christ. So I'm going to take that for granted that we understand that, and I'm going to look at a more personal application of the cost to be a follower of Christ as we live day to day. So that's where I'd like to take us. And by the way, that was a little bit of encouragement as I talked with Ralph and the things that he is going to teach. And as we saw with the other men, uh, Ralph actually sent an email out and, and just kind of talked with the different men, what are you going to cover so that we didn't cover a lot of the same things. And we've striven to do that so that in each of our studies, we hone in on a particular point. Now, I believe that some will be crossing over for Ralph tonight in what I'm saying, but I don't, I, clearly he knows, he knows what I'm preaching on, and I know what he's preaching on, so we'll try to not have too many of the same things. I'll get to be, hear him tonight, and I'll, I'll say it the way my wife said it. She says, well, that's just Ralph's problem. He has the last lesson. <laughs> Ralph and I are very, very good friends. We have spent nearly 25 years together, and that's pretty good for two preachers working together side by side. He's a fellow shepherd. He's a, a fellow preacher in the gospel of Christ. And if you know anything about Ralph, he is one who's traveled all over our country preaching the gospel. And again, and I say that humbly for him, that is something that he's been able to bring back to us at Henderson and tell us of the works and what's going on in churches all around and how brethren are living for Christ. And another thing as we start, I don't want us to take this lesson from a negative viewpoint. This is not about how you're not being good disciples this morning. I don't know you, you don't know me. But one thing I've learned about our walk in Christ is I believe we have good brethren all over the place doing lots of things. I have no idea what they're doing. And I will say that I think I even said something to Stephanie there that she didn't know what her first husband, Jim, that I got to know and been involved in, in life together with her at Brown Street. And she had me 
uh, a bit caught up this morning because she came up and said, do you remember me? Well, I really remember Stephanie really well, but you know, we all get a little older and sometimes picking people out doesn't work as well as we get older. But we had many years together, working together at Brown Street, though I was in and out preaching for small congregations, but we got to know each other really well and many brethren that we've known. So I'm looking forward to meeting her her companion and worker today in Christ and being with her today. So that's a beautiful blessing. But I say all of that to point out that at Brown Street, where I grew up and came to know Christ, there was a lot of times I was thinking people weren't doing anything. And then all of a sudden, when you go out and start visiting yourself and doing something, I found out there was a whole lot of people doing stuff that I didn't even know they were doing. They were being good disciples. And I will tell you, it's real easy to be judgmental until you put your hands to the plow. As soon as you get behind the plow and you start working for the Lord, you're going to find a whole lot of other people out there behind the plow working with you. It is just fantastic. So sometimes if we are being negative, we might say, wait, I just need to get out there and work. I got to do some things. If I'm starting to be harsh on people or judgmental people or thinking they're not being good disciples, one of the things you need to do is just get out there and get involved with them. I think that was uh, work along was one of the points we were making this morning from Romans 12. Get out there and be a disciple with other disciples. Now, my point this morning, though, is all about the cost of doing that. So that, right from the start, can be looked at a bit negative. If this is going, come on. Uh, uh, now, stay with me on this. If we're going to say this is going to cost, what do we all do immediately? <laughs> we start thinking about, all right, what is this going to cost me? How much is it going to cost me? What's involved in this? Am I right? Let somebody come to your door. You're not really, you want to be helpful, but you're really not interested in what they're trying to sell usually. But the first thing you're thinking is, all right, I can't just run them off. Well, maybe we might. But if I'm going to be a good Christian, I'm going to talk with them, be nice to them, and be kind. And I am. And, and, and we just had a little girl come to We had two people come. One, Kathleen got the first one. I think that was $10. And the next one came. It was just some candy, so it was a dollar. It was pretty easy, actually. That wasn't out too much money. But the first thing you were looking at is if they're trying to sell me something, what does it cost? Right? What does it cost? And the truth is, being a child of God costs us something. In fact, I'd like to say it costs us everything. You got it? It costs us everything. Look at the text we've got. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whosoever or whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Jesus is saying, if you're going to come after me, you're going to have to deny yourself. And that means it costs everything. Now, somebody tells you, I want you to come with me. And really what Jesus is saying, I have done it all for you. This isn't really, in one sense, going to cost you anything. To have salvation, it's a gift. So there's no charge to become a child of God. It's by God's grace, right? There's no charge. God gives to us salvation. 
Yet Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, you've got to give up yourself. So what we have here is somewhat of irony or dilemma. It doesn't cost me anything to be saved. Jesus paid it all, and all to him I owe. He has paid it all. There is no cost for the gift of salvation. It's a gift. It's God's grace. But to follow him truly as his disciple, he does tell me there's a cost. Let's look at that. Let's think about it. All right? You got a good friend, and he's pretty wealthy. That's one of the top private jets flying in our skies today. That's a Learjet. That's a Learjet XR. I looked for the top one. You've got a friend, and that friend owns that jet. And in that jet, I've been in a private jet. I went to a funeral one time in a private jet for a family. The lawyer who was taking care of the family, I was asked to do a funeral, and I had to fly somewhere. I went to private, the first time I ever did anything like that. I mean, everything was provided. Got into that jet, food was there, I was taken care of, landed, taken back. It was pretty, pretty amazing. Never done anything like that before. I've been in jets and been taken care of. You know, I've flown jets in the days when they actually gave you some food to eat. So, I mean, I, I've been there, I've been served. But my point is, Jesus comes along and says to us, all expenses paid. Everything's taken care of. I want you to come on and get in this jet with me, this body of Christ. But to do it, you've got to forsake all, or you can't be my disciple. Are you, am I just making this up, or are you seeing this dilemma? Are you beginning to balance that in your mind? <laughs> He's saying, come on, join with me, and listen if you give up yourself and get into that plane with that friend, and he's the pilot too, he's a well-trained pilot. He's the pilot. He's flying it. I was, in the, I was in the plane with the man, he's flying it. And we're, he's, he's, he's got it on automatic pilot, comes back and gives us our food. We're sitting with him, we're enjoying the time. He's the pilot, it's pretty cool. But what did I do when I got into that jet? Did I give myself completely over to that man who pilots that jet? Did I give him my whole life? Think about it. Do you have any control at that point? Unless you're a pilot and you could help out. Is there? You get into that jet and they, you're fed, you're taken care of, you take off, you're in flight, you're taken to where you're going and you land. And from that whole time, do you have any control? I mean, we know from a child up, you get into that plane and you have given up control of your life, didn't you? And you gave it to your friend and you got into that plane. Now, we can go back to my lesson on faith. Our faith is most planes go up and they come back down nicely, don't they? <laughs> and most of us are just fine. Well, there might be a few in here say, I'm not doing that. But most of us here, 
fly. And we have faith that we'll be fine. We'll go up, we'll come down. It, isn't it, in a sense, when I get in the car with my wife this morning and she was driving, I was kind of looking over my notes, she was driving. Who was in charge of that car this morning? Was there anything I could really do if something went wrong other than yell at her and say, hey, there's somebody coming or something's coming. I mean, I could have spoke up, right? And that yell was supposed to be a nice yell. Now, you know, I could have handled that, right? A little bit. I could have been a part of it. But the truth is, she was the pilot. I was, the, I was somewhat a co-pilot. There was nothing co-pilot about that. She's in charge. Till we got here, she's in charge. She's driving. And I've given my life over to her. In the same way when she gets in the car and I drive. My point is, that's what I believe the Bible's talking about. But the Bible is saying, you're giving your life over to Christ, and now you're going to walk together with him, in a sense, in the jet. You're going to travel with him, and you've given your life over to him, and it costs you that, that now my life is under your control, Lord, and you are my Savior, and you are the one who is going to direct me in my life. Now, I just want to make sure that you understand that that I'm not making that up, and I believe that's what Jesus is saying when he says, you have to forsake all and come join me in this trip and in this direction to go to heaven. So it's going to cost us giving up our control, our choices, and our decision-making. Not fully, not completely. There are some things I can do in that plane. I mean, I can put the parachute on. I can do a lot of things to try to save myself. But, I mean, we live lives where we have some say in what we're doing. But you've all joined together and said, I give my life to Christ. And I am no longer in control. He's in control of my life. And he's going to take me to the Father, to heaven, to eternal life. And I'm so thankful we have such a promise and blessing in Christ. So then, if anyone comes to me and does not, think in this picture now of what we're talking about, does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now, if you'll notice, I'm referencing in this particular case, we're looking at Luke chapter 14. Earlier, I had used Luke 9. Now, we're over in Luke chapter 14. So, in Luke chapter 14, he's making it very clear to us that when we give him control of our life, when we come over to him, no longer is, it, uh, is our father, our mother, or those who we love in control of us. We have rationally determined my life is now Christ's, Christ is going to be the one I'm going to live for. So when it says hate there, it's a strong word for us. But what it is saying, when I am placed between my mother and Christ, when I'm placed between my father and Christ, from my children and Christ, as to a decision to how I would live and serve in this world, I choose Christ. Now that's tough. It's not easy. That's the real, if you want to say, let's get down to the bare bones of the decision of how I'm going to give myself over to Christ and it's costing me something. There's probably right now, I, and, and this, brethren, I love my brethren with all my heart and you are truly my family. 
but no one would disagree if your family that you're around are Christians. They are really, you are really in with them at that point now. There's just hardly anything I wouldn't do for my wife or my children or my grandchildren. And some would say that's true even if they're not Christians. And I wouldn't deny or argue that, but you would have to say that if they're not Christians, they could ask of you things and to do things that are not of Christ. Have you been there? Have you had to make a decision that weighed against the family you loved to follow Christ? I dare say there's some in here right now who made their parents angry or upset them or even they almost were willing to disown them when you made the choice to follow Christ and become a Christian and to live for him. I'm sure of it. If we let people tell their stories here, there were people who gave up friends, who gave up loved ones. That doesn't mean they don't have any relationship with them. doesn't mean that they don't ever talk to them or care about them, but had to make a split for Jesus. And that's what it's saying. And that costs, that costs dearly. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. There are just times in our lives when there are things we don't want to do that we must do because we follow our Lord. And those happen to all of us. There are just times, period, when the body says no, but we know we need to go. And we get up and do it the best we can because somebody needs us and we need to be there because we're a child of God. There are places we've got to go and situations we've got to enter in and we've all done that in our lives because we loved Christ and we knew that's where we needed to be. It happens, brethren. It may happen more for preachers, but it happens for all of us because we know that's what children of God do. And we show up when nobody else will show up. Christians and people who love the Lord will be there. That's bearing a cross. That's taking up our cross. That's what it means. And you know, we do live in a world where it's a bit easy. We don't live in a world where we're all alone at times. We don't live in a world where we might get put in prison. We don't live in a world where our jail cell might be four tin walls where we're put in some kind of retaining building like what we call pods here. And we, we are placed there and kept there in prison getting our meals four time, three times a day, if three times, and we are stuck there for sometimes years because we will not deny Jesus Christ. That happens in our world. That happens right now. People die because they will not deny Christ in the world they live. We are tremendously blessed, but there may be a day where we have to stand up and pay the cost for our discipleship. I'm not making those things up. Those things are going on all around our world. For those who 
would call Christ their Lord and determine to live for him. That's just called the crucible of discipleship. The baptism of discipleship. The cup of discipleship. That's the cost, brethren. All right, we're not facing it right now. Praise God for that. But it hasn't gone away. The test of the word of God is that the ones who were lifted up, when I read it, were martyrs for Christ. Revelation is a very figurative book. But the first ones who are lifted up are the ones that are below the altar crying out to God, how long, how long will you allow this terrible thing to go on against your followers and your children and, and the believers? And it says they were beheaded for the cause of Christ. I know it's a figurative book. But it's trying to speak to us of the Stephen who was stoned at the behest of Saul of Tarsus as he held the coats of those who stoned him. To the one who was beheaded, James. And so it is that we should think that we do not have to go through the test of fire for the cause of Christ. That's a cost, brethren. And though we're not facing it, may we be at least sober enough and willing to admit that we may have to do that. And we who were old, do we ever think about when Daniel went into the lion's den, he was over 80 years old, and he was thrown down into it? I can't imagine it's my age right now to be thrown down into something and face it. The test of fire that we must face, the trials and the persecutions, Jesus spoke in Mark chapter 10 and verse 38 in a matter of authority when the apostles were trying to talk to him about being on his right hand and his left hand. He just asked them this question. And I just, can you just for a minute think about Jesus asking you this question? Can you drink of the cup that I will drink of? Can you be baptized with the baptism that I'll be baptized with? And those Disciples, those apostles at that moment said yes. And Jesus acquiesced to that. He said, well, you can. It isn't like it's impossible. Jesus is a human. He's facing that kind of death on the cross. He is going to his death. So he, he recognized that they could face it, and they did. They did. But we have to understand that our testing and it really, our testing of fire comes really, yes, by the trials around us, but the test of this truth, this word of God, and whether we'll stand up under it, is it calls us to give up things for Christ. To give up things. None of those things which will go with us to the heavenly reward, but the very soul that he's given us, our very spirit. Things are just things. And for the child of God, they should be unimportant. And I know better, they are not unimportant to us. God wants us to think differently. That's the cost of discipleship. And even though we're not going through this crucible of fire, and even though we're not really being tested in this way for our walk as disciples, this is the cost that I believe we all have to face and understand. He said to his followers, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. John 15, 18. 
If the world hates you, Jesus wants you to know he was hated before the world hated you. Our Lord understands that we will be hated, that we will be mistreated. If we choose to live righteous, we will be persecuted. We will be tried. Brethren, we don't, we shouldn't wear, I know in America we wear this badge of honor that our government shouldn't do these things to us and that our government should protect us and it should particularly trust, take care of Christians because it's built on Christian principles. And we just have this feeling that everything should just go right for us in America. Why? Sure isn't what the Bible tells us. You know I'm right. The scriptures offer us no such guarantees. In fact, the scriptures tell us the opposite. This is what it costs to be a disciple. Suffering is part of being a follower of Christ. Giving up things is a part of following Christ. To think I am not my own is a part of following Christ. And I want to tell you, I'm in this boat with you. And I know right now you're saying, Preacher, you said this was not going to be a negative lesson. And this is the most negative things I could think of is what you're presenting right now. But if I don't, then all the positive aspects of it is not going to have any value for us. We have to see the worst it can be because we live in America and there seems to be almost that right that we should not be mistreated. Am I wrong? Isn't it almost ingrained in us that Christians should be treated well and we should not be treated badly by our own government or anybody? just want you to think about it. Okay, let's change gears. Let's lighten up a little. But I wanted us to be sure that we understand the cost of discipleship because Jesus said these things, and to me, that's pretty negative. If you're starting out and you get in the plane and he says, we're probably going to go down. <laughs> Isn't that what he just did to us? Didn't Jesus say... Look, get in the plane with me, and we're probably going to crash. Now, how many of us are going to get in that plane? Get in this boat with me. It's going to sink. You getting in? I'm not getting in. What about you? Do you, you see the point? That's what he's saying. It's not going to always be wonderful, and it can be very hard to follow me. So, you've been distressed by, here's the, okay, here's how we lift our spirits. You've been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is parable, perishable, even though tested by fire. All of this, according to 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, is to make us stronger and to bring us through the fire of testing to make us spiritual, 
to be able to handle what comes our way and to walk with Christ no matter what we have to do. I think that's beautiful. That actually the fire and the testing makes me more patient. It makes me kinder. It makes me more understanding. It makes me understand those that are in the world that need to know Christ. It makes me more caring for the people that are on the streets. It makes me want to be concerned about the things that are going on in my school. And not that somehow some social activities is going to make it better, but because I know if I can reach somebody with Christ, if I can tell them about what they need to do to be a disciple of Christ and what it will take to be the child of God, it can change their lives. It can make them the kind of people that can change our world. One by one changing hearts, talking to the person that's so negative when you meet them at the pharmacy because their cost of the donut hole and the expenses of what occurs with their medications is unreal in a government that seems to not care what it costs elderly people to have their medicine. Doesn't that break your heart? Huh? Couldn't I go on of the things that we need to help people with and we need some help with ourselves sometimes? to be there for each other. That's the power of Christianity. Jesus says, you're going to have to go through these things, and the plane might crash. The boat might go down. So then, I'm not my own, but look what God did in place of it. He gave me armor. Remember I said we got to get it, got to build you up now. All right? Okay. What am I going to wear? I'm not my own. So it's not about this physical clothes. I may have poor clothing, more expensive clothing, but it's not that, is it? It's not about clothing. It's not what we wear. It's what we spiritually wear. Here's what Jesus gives us. Jesus gives us a new set of clothes that are beautiful and marvelous and kingly and queenly. He says, come here and here's your armor that can battle the wiles of the devil, that can go against evil and deal with the world and all of its struggles and trials that come upon you. Look what you're going to do. You're going to put on this helmet of salvation. You have this shield of faith. You have this breastplate of righteousness. You know, this is Ephesians chapter 6, right? Your feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel. You have a sword in your hand, which is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. You are powerful. You are dressed magnificently. Isn't that beautiful? So that we understand that it is, as it's spoken to a sister in Christ, the adornment is not external. It's not what we look like or what we wear, though that should be modest and should be godly. Our choice isn't to look like the world and act like the world, but choose what is righteous and godly to wear because it's this inner man, this inner person of the heart that dresses us. That's 1 Peter chapter 3, 3-4. As we looked at Ephesians chapter 6 and looked at the armor of God, we go over to Peter, and Peter says to a sister in Christ who is trying to convert a husband who's not a Christian, a sister in Christ who has a husband who's not a Christian, and she's trying to convert him, and she is told that it is that inward person that is for Christ 
and dedicated to Christ that can change him and win him over with the word of God. Our clothing is important, brethren. Our physical clothing is important. It should be modest. It should present us well. It doesn't have to be dressed up. I'm not saying that. But it does make a difference how we present ourselves. You know, you can present yourself and look worldly. Our young people are struggling with that. They really are. With all the things that are going on, they don't even realize it. They just look like everybody else in this sense. And you say, well, don't we as adults just look like everybody else? Well, to some degree, there is truth in that. Clothing is clothing. But I'll tell you what will make the difference. If the heart is right, how you present yourself outwardly, it will be done from that heart. Get our hearts right, everything else will be right. You will choose the right path. You'll know whether you should do something or not. I can remember my children coming up, and I can remember, and particularly my daughters, saying to me, when I'd say to them, now you make the choice, they would say, Dad, don't do that to me. Choose for me. Tell me what I'm supposed to do. Don't say that to me. You make the choice. It's your time to make the choice. They prefer that I tell them, you can't go there. You can't wear that. That is not what you should choose to do. They liked it when I did that for them, when their mother did that for them. But when we said to them, now it's your time. you become a Christian. Now it's your choice. That's hard. And it has to be built upon the gentle and quiet spirit. That has to be true of both us as brothers and sisters in Christ, that we put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, and has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. That's who we should be. We also realize then that we're not our own, and it is, uh, it is what we say. Our, what we say must be compassionate, it must be kind, it must be of grace, it must show sympathy. What comes out of our mouth, we have no choice. Now this this is far more pointed than clothing. God gives us words like this of generosity and compassion and kindness. He tells us the kind of words we should use. It's, he says, let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person, Colossians 4, 6. So he makes it very clear, here's the way you should talk. And then he says, and there must be no filthiness or silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. It is very evident what comes out of our mouth should be of grace. It should be given of thanks. No curse words should come out of our mouth. Brethren, no curse words should come out of our mouth. Don't listen to them either. Find ways to get rid of them. It's not good enough to just say, well, everybody's doing it. That's all they say. It's not okay. Jesus said, through his apostles, through the Holy Spirit, it's not okay. This costs you. You're not going to talk like the people in the world. At work and everywhere you go, you don't have the right. Brethren, there was, there was a brother working with me in a factory. There was a brother working with me in a factory, and I did not know he was a brother in Christ. A brother in Christ, in the Lord's church, in another congregation in the city. And what I heard come out of that mouth I, of that man, even as a young Christian, newly baptized into Christ, there is no way that he was a Christian. You understand? 
There was no way that man was a Christian. And then one day, we were sitting, working on the same job, because he was one of my journeymen at B.F. Goodrich in Akron. And I found out he attended another church in the city. And I was floored. Are you listening? I'm a new Christian, newly baptized into Christ. And my brother was cursing in ways no man should curse. And it wasn't directed at any person mind you. It was directed at a machine that gave him fits. When he found out I was a Christian, a new Christian, things changed at work quickly. But why did that have to happen? Why? He wasn't paying the cost, was he? He didn't choose to follow Christ and to serve the way he was told. The Bible says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Ephesians 4.29 The cost not only involves that, but what about my time? How do I use my time, brethren? How do you use your time? It's going to cost you your time. The Bible says, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. Everything I do is for the will of God. With all prayer and petition, all the time. Am I taking the time to pray? Am I taking the time to study my Bible? Am I taking my time to be spiritual? Am I taking my time and using it for the Lord? Notice I said mine through all of that. That was pointed. My time? I gave myself to the Lord. Everything I do is the Lord's. How am I living? That's not just for preachers. It's not for elders. It's for all of us. It makes us better people when we're serving him everything we're doing. Every moment we get up, today is the Lord's day. I'm going to live for him. This is his time. I'm going to, get, I'm going to use that time for what he wants me to use it. And that involves taking care of your family. That takes, involves your work. That involves everything you're doing. Serving him with your time. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, 2 Peter 3.18. So in Ephesians 6.18, we are giving ourselves over to prayer and petitions to God. And in every aspect, whether we're worshiping like this, going to Bible study, whatever we're doing, our time is dedicated to the Lord Jesus. And then last point, I'm not my own. My money's not my own. I thought that was a great picture. <laughs> You don't find pictures like that too much, where there's dollar bills all around a heart. But it's so beautiful, it speaks to us, that in great ordeal of affliction, for these, these brethren in the Macedonian area, in great affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability, beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. So even in matters of our financial well-being, we are in control of that. Listen, 
None of you who become disciple of Christ owns anything anymore. This is a different translation. I like it. So then none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his possessions. I used it earlier and it said it a little differently if you notice. But the translations, that same verse in Luke 14, 33 impresses with the fact that we give up what we own for the cause of Christ. But whatever things were gained to me, Paul said, those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Philippians 3 in verse 7. Well, you all have been very nice to me this morning. I know I've gone a little probably over time, but I want you to know this. I know that you know it, that I'm not my own. Christ is in me. You are not your own. Christ is in you. Paul said it this way so that we can understand what the cost of our discipleship is. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now being set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness, the end everlasting life. Romans 6, 22. I thought I would do a little better and get you done right at noon, but I just went over a little of that time. But I hope you understand. Preacher likes to get all of his notes preached if he can. Seriously, in, in, in our study this morning, Jesus says, come on, walk with me. I'll take care of you. I'll see that you have everything you need. And I'll make sure that you have a home in heaven and eternal life. That's what he promises. Give your life to me and you can have that. But there's one cost. And it is giving yourself totally to me. Your time, your money, your mouth, how you look. I'll fill you up with good words. I really give you all the money you truly need. I'll make sure that you look the way you should look for the world to see the light of Christ. I will be in you. And you will be my brother, my sister. With God, a son and a daughter. And you will have a family that's beyond your imagination. You can have that. Give your life to me. But know that in this life, you might go down in flames. It may not be easy. But in the life to come, eternal life, far more than we could ever think or ask or want. If that is an invitation that 
makes you desirous of becoming a child of God, and we could assist you in that this morning. We would love to hear your faith confessed in Christ. And we will bury you in baptism this morning that you can come up a child of God, a disciple of Christ, who will have to pay some cost as you give your life over to Christ. And if we failed in that way, but feel we need the prayers of our brethren, that's here and always available to any of us while we stand and sing.